Greg Masters at the Health 2.0 10th Annual Gathering here in Santa Clara County. And I have a colleague, friend, and inspiration here with me today. Her name is Casey Quinlan. She's known on Twitter as at Mighty Casey, formerly known as Mighty Mouth Productions. Well, no, no. I call myself, I self-brand it as the Mighty Mouth because if you can't hide it, hang a flag on it. And uh, my company's Mighty Casey Media, but it's just at Mighty, you know, MightyCasey.com on the web. I stand corrected. So here's here's the deal. So 10th Annual Health Tucon Conference. I see Casey at many conferences, often which blend together. And this is Casey's first opportunity to be at the Health Tucon Conference. So let's get some of your impressions and maybe key takeaways of what it's been like to be here over the last three days? Well, you know, there's a few things. Um, first of all, I think that um, this this particular conference is refreshing to me because it's very honest about what it is. This is a technology conference. It is not a, uh, I don't know, kumbaya trying to be something that it isn't, you know, it's it's not aimed at any one vertical in healthcare, but it is totally about tech. And that's refreshing because often either it's weighted heavily toward government or it's weighted heavily toward a health system that is sponsoring it. And I think that it um, it's just refreshing to be in a place where you know exactly what's going on and exactly what the agenda is. Now, that said, I still, and I call on the developer and tech community to stop doing the healthcare thing, which is thinking that patients are dumb pieces of meat and that we are not smart enough to know what we need. What we need is for people to help us, not for people to try to sell us things. Granted, yes, people need to buy things, but when was the last time you bought something from someone who called you stupid while they did it? Think on that. So know that patients are smarter than you think they are. Meet us where we are. Meet us on a level. And all sorts of amazing things could happen. But, you know, my my takeaway from Health2Con is that it was refreshing to be in one place that had one mission, and I knew what it was. And I also saw some really cool stuff here. So it, all in all, this was a good this was a good few days. So you're here as a patient advocate. Tell us a little bit about first a your background as to why you're into advocacy, and then put that lens on what you saw here over the last several days. Well, it started. My parents were e patients, which sounds a little weird because they were the World War II generation. But there's a whole story behind that that I won't tell here. But I was a family caregiver. When they got to a point where they needed help, I stepped in. And then after they died, I guess five years after they died, I got a cancer diagnosis. And I felt as though the universe was handing me a message. You're supposed to pivot into healthcare. As previously, I had been in uh, the television, you know, network television news business. And uh, I had covered my share of uh, medical stories, among other things. Uh, at, you know, on the TV news beat, at, you know, network, as a producer. If you saw me on camera, it meant everyone else was hit by a meteor. But, um, you know, I, I did that and then ended up slowly and then more rapidly pivoting into healthcare, bringing the skills that I have at storytelling into trying to draw attention to the fact that patients know more about where the gaps are in healthcare 
than the system itself does and could usefully deploy us to close those gaps. But I, you know, I, pr I produce medical, uh, I, I, I produce content for medical societies still wearing sort of a semi-journalist hat. So I still, I get a 360. You know, I talk to a lot of really smart people from a lot of different points of the healthcare compass. So I don't, I don't, you know, just come running out of the patient row screaming and carrying a torch. I'm not necessarily just an angry villager, but I can play one on TV. So you've, uh, in the early goings of my awareness of you, you, you uh, wrote a book and, and it was, has something to do with Christmas. Ah, oh, yes. I wrote a book called Cancer for Christmas because actually, I mean, I got my cancer diagnosis a couple days before Christmas in 07. And when the universe hands you a book title like that, you got to use it. And so I, I wrote the book, or I, you know, I blogged and journaled and, you know, et cetera, through treatment, which was in 08. And then at the end of 08, I finished the book and handed it over to some very smart friends who are professional editors. And then brought the book itself out in late September of 2009 and got it to bestseller on Amazon in October of 2009. So I can authentically say and legitimately say that it's an Amazon bestseller. And it's still out there, cancerforchristmas.com, or just go to Amazon and plug in Cancer for Christmas. So let's talk about, this is the 10th year of what is arguably the granddaddy of the health, Web 2.0, digital health, mHealth, patient empowerment movement here that brings a lot of developers and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, policy people, government, private sector together. What's your sense of what it was like to be here? What's the primary vibe you picked up? Well, I referenced it earlier, but I'll, I'll, I'll restate it. Um, you said that this is the granddaddy of many things, all true, except for when you got to patient empowerment. I think that this, to be fair, Matt and the Health 2.0 team have always welcomed patients. They give patients, if you apply, if you, you know, through their engine online, once the registration engine is open, if you're a patient, you can apply for a scholarship. It's a very simple process. This was the first year I did that. I could have done it in previous years, but typically they, um, the Health 2Con was around a time that I was traveling for something else, so I couldn't really mesh it with my schedule. This year, it was a given. And then also they were doing those 10-year um, awards, and I found out that I was in the running, and I thought that was fun. So uh, then it turned out I was a finalist and found out that, you know, God bless the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation and all who sail in her because I'm getting the money back on my airfare and my, um, my Airbnb. So I'm happy. Uh, this was a terrific experience. I will come back. I'm not sure if I'll make it next year. I'm certainly going to try. But, um, I, you know, I, I definitely think it was worth it. And I saw some things here, particularly around blockchain, that I think have huge opportunity, both in the patient and, you know, empowerment side. And, I mean, because patients are already empowered, but the system doesn't really see us yet. But I think that the blockchain thing that I saw here, particularly with DocChain and PocketDoc, uh, the, the, that stuff, I think, ha has real potential. And uh, then also there was some precision medicine stuff that I saw that, uh, you know, really kind of, you know, lit up my panel. So. so when I say patient empowerment or more engagement with patients, patient advocates, the patient voice, what, what comes to mind for you? Well, what comes to mind for me is everybody's been talking about 
you know, patient-centered care and, uh, you know, patient engagement. And the, the real issue, the bedrock issue for me with that is that I think that too often the healthcare system sees patient engagement as a box check because it's been made a box check for a variety of reasons from payers, et cetera. But patients are already engaged. Granted, there are some chronically ill people who deal with issues that complicate and, you know, like, you know, comorbidities of depression, along with, you know, serious diabetes that's uncontrolled and, let's say, COPD. Uh, You know, I mean, that's a cocktail that who would want? And at that point, you really would kind of go like, what? And there's a lot of social determinants of health that aren't being addressed. And I think that that's something that our healthcare system and our our system, our you know our our society in general, American society, really needs to look at. It's like how how much do we value human life if we're willing to let so much of it sort of fall by the wayside over inability to access the healthcare system because either the system doesn't make itself available via insurance and and that kind of access. Or we don't teach children from the earliest age how to interact with the healthcare system in a way that they get their needs met and they can live the happiest, healthiest, fullest life. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, that's what it's supposed to be about, right? Got it. So, but where where I was going is um, where do you have a gathering of providers, payers, government, you know, VCs, you name it. What what conference, what venue, what, what platform where do you see that where the patient's voice is really being hosted, nurtured, and amplified? Mm, well, um, other than here, and I mean, granted, there could have been a little bit more equal time, but, you know, you can't get everything. I, you know, MedEx purports to be. Um, they try to be. They've, they've had some hits and misses. Uh, there is, uh, you know, some effort on the part of ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, uh, to include patients in many things, including uh, you know paper authorship and paper presentation at their annual meeting. Um, you know, I think around the edges, it's start. The industry is starting to recognize again that patients are. But as far as which conferences, I think Health Two Con, Two Degree Medics, Health Data Palooza. Um, although this is the second year that Academy Health is going to be running it. You know, next year is the second year Academy Health is going to be running it. And I don't know that they have really reconstituted the consumer circle yet. You know, stay tuned. But then, you know, there, there's grassroots stuff like Regina Holiday's Cinderblock series, which happens, you know, it, it's happened four times. There have been three, sorry, three. And um, one this year and one last year. And I think that she's got another one this coming year in the beautiful mountains of West Mar- Western Maryland. But that's, um, you know, there really isn't a lot yet. But I think that Health Tucon, I think, can take, um, you know, sort of a tip of the spear prize here because they have been welcoming patients for a very long time before medics even existed. So would it be fair to say the quote, patient's voice, unquote, has yet to find a home? Well, it's, it's, it's yet to find the microphone or to an amplifier to plug the microphone into. Not as though, um, I mean, you know, here does it um, and Health Data Palooza to a degree, but I think that there hasn't really been a concerted effort to have a patient contingent design and deliver patient material patient programming in a conference of this level 
other than MedEx. I know that MedEx does does do that. Um, but I think that, you know, Health 2 Con has, because it's a tech conference, I think that one of the things that patients have to do is, you know, patients as a community, is um, figure out ways to um, create some content and some programming where they could present it to the Health 2 Con planning group event planning group and say, hey, this is a session we'd like to do. And then that way we would start. Because if we don't, don't ask to be invited. Push your way on stage if you have to. It's better to ask, but the best way to ask is to deliver some programming that will put butts in seats. So there's probably certain personality types here. Those who have what's been called this internal external locus of control there might be this sense of uh, i want to be more activist in my health i'm drawn to situations that that create health literacy and empowerment and i get fed and nurtured but there's a whole other cohort out there who just says you know just tell me what to do how do you how do we differentiate between the two well the just tell me what to do crowd is not going to show up at health two con but as far as um, just in general in life and helping people live their highest and you know the highest and best purpose, um, be it you know as a father or a mother or you know a worker or whatever or a presenter at Health Tucon, I think that um, people need to recognize their own agency and their own responsibility in their health to a degree. Now, granted, if some drunk sideswipes your car, that wasn't your fault. But know your you know as, as this is something I tell patient communities all the time: know your risks. Know your family history um, and be honest with yourself about what you're doing to um, either get healthy, stay healthy, be healthy, whatever. And, um, and if you get a thing, um, work as a team member with your medical team. Don't just be a lump of protoplasm going by in a conveyor belt because that's not always the best methodology toward getting to best health. So in your sphere of first contact friends relationships and so forth how would you allocate those who want to be in a shared decision-making relationship with their health care provider versus those who would rather just follow directions well that's i think a you know personality thing i i personally think that we really need to um, teach kids uh, starting in k through 12 about how to be self-act you know self-activating in this setting, uh, it's the same thing you do. You, would you just like hand a bank uh, all your money and say do what the, what you want? Because if you do that with healthcare, if you approach healthcare like you know some idiot with a paycheck who you know I'm going to deposit this and then you do whatever you want with it, just tell me what to do. That's not really a great design for living. Now, yeah, I mean, granted there is some literacy uptake that would have to happen with people, and that's why I you know return again to the K through 12, we're starting to teach financial literacy in K through 12, in, in the more forward thinking uh, education systems. And I think that we should do the same thing with health literacy. And I've written about this. And, well, that, but how about in the current cohort of, let's say people, the boomers or the millennials, what, I know this is subjective, but what would you say is the allocation of people who want to be engaged in a shared decision-making context versus someone who just maybe needs some information but wants to defer to the guidance of healthcare professionals. Well, 
is probably a scale there because, uh, you know, shared decision making um, is, I mean, it's not a totally new concept, but it's one that patients aren't usually really aware of. And um, I think it's incumbent on the, at that point, the provider community to uh, figure out how to introduce that concept to their um, patient panels and, and, and then, you know, help the patient understand like, okay, how involved do you want to be? And there are some simple, you know, sort of yes, no questions, you know, little dashboard stuff that I've seen developed that, you know, help, would help providers. Like, you know, how engaged do you want to be? How much information do you want? You know, how much time do you want to take to, you know, how do you want a second opinion? Or do you, you know, do you want to just have me tell you what to do? But with the understanding that I'm going to tell you why, providers always need to give you the why. And then also you need to understand what kind of outcomes are possible, what side effects, etc. I mean, just having someone tell you what to do doesn't really um, get you all the way home if there are risks to the treatments or the lack of treatments and things that you need to watch out for, which means you have to at least participate to some degree in the decision. You cannot just be a lump of protoplasm. So if you were king of the kingdom... Or queen, or queen or, or, or queen of the queendom, what would be the first three things you would do in order to make this arguably dysfunctional healthcare ecosystem a little more effective and patient-friendly? First thing I would do is end employer-sponsored insurance because access is key. And the reason that our access engine is so geschnert, technical term, in, um, in the United States is because we have this very wacky system where you have to have insurance to get health care. Um, but, you know, right around half of the people who are, you know, working adults, half of working adults have employer-sponsored insurance. The other half of working adults do not. Now, they're either shopping on the exchange or they're very low wage and depending, you know, they could end up on Medicaid, depending on what state they live in, etc. I really think that a model like the one in Holland, the one in Germany, the one in Switzerland, just to name three, that are insurance-based, not single-payer, because I know that makes people go crazy in the United States if you say single-payer. But um, I think that in order to have, you know, we need to have universal access and we need to end employer-sponsored insurance. And that will help us start to chip away at this. The other piece is um, we really have to take health care to task on a right care approach as opposed to a you know dollars for procedures thing because um, three trillion a year is a little unsustainable I find don't you and they think that um, you know you know wiser minds than I think that at least a third of that is waste so what could we do with a trillion dollars oh I don't know think about it we could build roads schools we could have a party we could do anything but why are we giving it to healthcare? Uh, if it's not working. If it's not working, why are we paying for it? Three trillion? Woo! And then we could get a trillion back? Let's do it. So end the ESI, and um, that'll help us get a handle on the, the three trillion thing if we also put it with a right care approach. Well, let me stop you. So what's the alternative? Government funded? You mean single payer? Single payer or at least universal care created by some combination of public-private sponsorship. Well, I don't know if that's a, a gunfight in the public square you really want to have. I mean, if you look at the blood in the streets after getting the ACA passed, and the ACA, let me tell you, is so not perfect, but it was a start. 
the pro I really think the bedrock problem with this and why it was so difficult is that employer-sponsored insurance pollutes the market in a way that um, both employers and the insurers are minting coin off of this that they should not be. The employers should not be in the healthcare system. People should be in charge of making those decisions. They should be helped to have the knowledge to make those decisions. And products that are understandable to them need to be delivered, but we have to start creating that. Continuing with the status quo will just guarantee that we have the biggest mess in the universe, which we already have. And so do we want to keep the biggest mess in the universe or do we want to make it better? So are you arguing for vouchers? Uh, well, you need to put that in a little more context for me. Uh, so uh, like block grants to the states, sort of lump sums, which you then empower you to go out and purchase in the open market? Why is the state even involved? Why are consumers not buying their own insurance? Well, it could come from the employer. It could come from the... the, no, the, the why, is he, why is the employer in the game at all? Why? I mean, I don't see why they should be. Why don't they pay people enough to just go out and buy bloody insurance? So if the employer's not the funding conduit, then the only other alternative is tax-supported. So what's the source? Well, no, I mean, not that the... The employer shouldn't be paying the bill. There are ways, and again, I've written about this, and I you know, could go wonky here, but there are ways in which employers can be involved in just the you know sort of payroll deduction and then shift over into uh, a, you know, a health plan. But the, the employer should not be running the health plan, selecting the health plan, et cetera. I mean, if you are employed, um, or you know, however, but you, know, you can either do it out of your bank account. But I think that we need to give people more agency. I mean, obviously, if they elect to have their employer siphon the funds and send it over to you know, XYZ Insurance for their health care, fine. But that should not, the selection of that plan and the running of that plan should not be up to the employer. It should be up to the individual. And yes, you're going to have to pay for it. But you know, there are ways to do that. So, you know, and I mean, the federal marketplace, healthcare.gov, is doing an okay job of that right now. It's not perfect, but, but, you know, it's a start. And I think that if everybody had to shop on the marketplace, and if employers were to be involved, it would only be to the, to the degree that um, a level of payroll deduction per pay period would then go to whoever the administrator was of, you know, we're paying the premiums for Mrs. McGillicuddy now. You know, that, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not that hard. Sounds like health savings accounts. Okay, what's number two? So, and employer-sponsored health insurance. You're running the zoo. What's next? Oh, the K-12 through syllabus on health literacy so that we can start, you know, training baby humans how to how to understand how their bodies work and how to interact with the healthcare system, how to talk to a doctor, how to get the help they need, and then, you know, how to manage things that, that occur. Okay, how about number three? Is there a three? No, I think that's one and two. I mean, I think I can do it in two. Okay, excellent. Okay, Casey, so final takeaways, general impression here. When you go home, what's going to be uh, top of mind for you? Well, what's going to be top of mind for me is um, the blockchain thing and um, the precision medicine stuff that I saw here. Because that's what I'm going to continue to keep an eye on and continue to write about and, and you know, track. But I've made some good friends. Um, I saw some, um, you know, longtime friends. Hello. Um, while I was here. So, uh, you know, new relationships, solidifying old relationships and um, continuing the work because the, the system will not shift itself. It, and it was not broken. It was built this way. 
and we must work together or we are doomed. Thank you for that. Well, there you have it. That'll be the last word. Thank you, Casey Quinlan, at Mighty Casey on Twitter, for spending some time here, and maybe we'll see you next year. I hope so. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.